Job is the best person in the world in his day. God said that. If you consider my servant Job, there's none like him in the earth, a godly man that fears me and eschews evil. The devil said, well, I'll tell you why he serves you. You've been really good to him. You've given him all kinds of material blessing. But if you took away all that stuff, he'd curse you to your face. God said, go ahead. Just don't touch him. And in one day, Job lost every possession he had, all of his donkeys, his camels, his sheep, his cattle. And he lost seven sons and three daughters. And Job's response was, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord giveth, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly with his mouth. And God said to the devil, well, now what do you think of Job? And the devil said, well, skin for skin, yea, all a man hath will he give for his life. You touch him physically. Let me hurt his body and he'll curse you. God said, go ahead, don't take his life. And Job was stricken with an awful disease. We think the disease of elephantiasis. Boils erupted all over his body. They were painful. He sat on some ashes outside the city to warm himself and get some comfort from his pain. He took pieces of broken pottery and scraped his sores. He still didn't curse God. His friends came. They did really well at first. There were three of them, Zophar, Bildad, Eliphaz, and they didn't say anything. They just sat there for seven days. Here's a good thought. When you don't know what to say, don't say anything. Just be there and love them. Then they got talking. They were deep philosophers or thought they were. And they said, now, Job, this wouldn't happen accidentally. If uh, all these bad things came, you must have some hidden sin. You get the sin right, and then God will bless you. And Job said, no, I'm not perfect, but I don't believe this is because of anything I've done. And the more his friends attacked him, the more Job defended himself. He did get a little uh, extreme in his defense of himself. In fact, after the men that came first were done speaking, a younger man came named Elihu. And Elihu had plenty to say against Zophar and Bildad and Eliphaz, but he had something to say against Job. He was angry with Job because Job justified himself rather than God. Did you know that when you and I are in a time of trouble and trial, our main responsibility is to tell everybody how good our God is. Our God is really good. I'm glad you sang those songs that honor and glorify him. If you don't know that you have a home in heaven, did you know God loves you so much he wants to spend forever with you? Think about that. I have a lot of people visit. Our grandkids come. We're always glad they're there. But I got to be honest, uh, at my age, after the young kids come and I wrestle with them on the floor and we play ping pong in the basement and do all that kind of stuff, when they leave, my wife and I kind of go, God wants to spend eternity with you. The trouble is we're sinners and our sin keeps us from heaven. But God loved us so much, he sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to die on the cross shed his blood for our sin. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you could walk out of this room this morning knowing that all your sins are forgiven, that every bad thing you've ever done has been washed away by the blood of Jesus and that you're going to heaven forever whenever you die. 
Our job is to tell people how good our God is. I was given a cassette tape years ago. A man named Dave Reaver was a young married man drafted into the Army for the Vietnam War, Christian. Tried to be a testimony to his soldier buddies. They made fun of him. They called him preacher, missionary, evangelist. And he gave as good as he got. He called his three biggest critics pervert number one and pervert number two and pervert number three. I won't tell you all the story, but one day Dave Reaver was in the jungles of Vietnam holding a phosphorus grenade and it exploded. They don't know if the grenade was defective or if a sniper bullet hit it, but every finger on that hand was blown off. His ear was blown off. His nose was blown off. All but two fingers on that hand were blown off. His body is covered in flame. And as he jumps into the water in that swampy jungle area to get relief from the pain, the first words out of his mouth are these, God! I still love you. He got right the one thing Job got wrong. Job's almost done speaking now in chapter 31. His last words are in verse 40 of that chapter. And he says this in verse 35, all oh, that one would hear me. Behold, that the Almighty would answer me and I'm, let me start again. All the one to hear me, behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me and that mine adversary had written a book. Surely. I would take it upon my shoulder and would bind it as a crown to me. I want to talk to you about this thought this morning. If only God had written a book. When Job said his adversary, he didn't mean the devil. He didn't know the devil had anything to do with his trials. All of his comments and questions and complaints are addressed to God. No, the one would hear me. Behold, my desires, the Almighty would answer me and that mine adversary had written the book. Lord, would you help us? Open our hearts to your truth. Empower me by your spirit. Save any who does not know they have a home in heaven and help us to be more correct in our attitude and behavior toward your word because of the time we spend today. Thank you for this great church. Thank you for the book that only you could have given us. A book that's timeless and perfect and preserved through the ages. Help us to love it more because of the time we spend this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. Job had a dilemma. He had a lot of questions. One of his questions was, what is my purpose? He had all these troubles come to him, and he wondered, why am I even here? He said in Job 3 and verse 11, why died I not from the womb? And why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? He said, why, why do I even exist? Why is my life even a part of this earth? And, and then he had a second part of his dilemma. He wondered why God wouldn't answer his prayer. He said in Job 19 and verse 7, Behold, I cry out of wrong, but I'm not heard. I cry aloud, but there is no judgment. He said in our text, he said, My desire is the Almighty would answer me, that one would hear me. What's my purpose? Why won't God answer my prayer? And then he had another dilemma. Part of his problem was he couldn't understand why the wicked would prosper. 
He said in Job 21 and verse 7, Wherefore do the wicked live, become old, yea, are mighty in power. Their seed is established in their sight with them. Their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. And he said, look, at, I'm trying to do right. They're doing wrong. They have everything and I've lost everything. What's my purpose? Why won't God answer my prayer? Why did the wicked prosper? And he had a fourth part of his dilemma. He said, why can't I be pardoned? If I have sinned, if I've done something that's offended God, why can't it be cared for? Why can't it be forgiven? Why can't I be pardoned from my sin? Why dost thou not, Job 7, verse 21, pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now shall I sleep in the dust and thou shalt seek me in the morning. He said in Job 9 and verse 2, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? And later on in Job chapter 9, verse 32, he said, he's not a man as I am that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that he might lay his hand upon us both, Job said, oh, I wish there was somebody who knew me and who knew God and could take hold of me with one hand and take hold of God with the other hand and explain God to me and explain me to God. Why can't I be pardoned? Why do the wicked prosper? Why won't God answer my prayer? What's my purpose? Job not only had a dilemma, he made a defense of himself pretty interesting what Job said. He, he wanted us to know that he was righteous in his person. He said, I'm a good man. I'm not a bad man. God said that. Job was right about that. He wasn't a perfect man. Oh, we know there's no righteous, no, not one. But as, as far as God looking at the whole world, he said, there's nobody better than Job. He, he said, I'm righteous in my person. Well, he said, I, I, I've been pure in my morals. Verse 1 of our text, chapter verse chapter 31, of, I, I, he said, I've made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? I've not only not behaved improperly, I haven't even had wrong thoughts towards the opposite sex. I'm not only pure in my morals. I'm righteous in my person because I'm generous with my money. He said in verse 16, if I've withheld from the poor their desire, cause the eyes of the widows to fail or have eaten my morsel myself alone and the fatherless have not eaten thereof. He, he said, I've been good to the people that didn't have any money. I'm righteous in my person because I've been pure in my morals and generous with my money. He said, I've been spiritual in my motives. He said, if I beheld the sun, verse 26, when it shined, or the moon walking in brightness, and my heart hath been secretly enticed, or my mouth hath kissed my hand, this were an iniquity to be punished by the judges. He said, now, in Job's day, people worship the sun, and they worship the moon. He said, I've never done that. Uh, I've been spiritual of my motives. I know who the true God is. I know he's the creator of all that exists. I have not uh, worshipped any false gods. I'm righteous in my person. I've been generous with my money. I've been pure in my morals. I've been spiritual in my motives, and... He said, there's no reason for my punishment. This is not happening because of some bad thing that I have done. And by the way, Job was right about that. He said, if I, if I could only talk to God, if I could only know exactly what God thinks, Job 23, verse 3, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. I might come even to his seed. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me. I want to know what God has to say and understand what he would say unto me. But I don't. And almost the last thing he says before Elihu speaks and then God speaks. 
is all that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is the Almighty would answer me and that mine adversary had written a book. Job, you say you want to understand your purpose. Well, Job, you know your purpose. Don't you know 1 Corinthians 10, 31, the Bible says whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now that word glory is the word doxa. It's the word opinion. And what it means is whether I'm eating or drinking, whether I'm in my normal life or whether I'm in a ministry life, whatever I do, I'm to give people a good opinion of my God. That's my job as a believer. That's your job as a believer that people know us as God's children and they like our God because they're like us. We're to give them a good opinion of God. Job, you know that your, your, your purpose is to glorify God. And Job, you know God answers your prayer. Didn't you ever read the Sermon on the Mount? It's the longest sermon in the Bible, the most famous sermon in the Bible, the best sermon ever preached. It was preached by the Lord Jesus. And he said right in there, seek and you shall find, uh, ask and you shall receive, knock and the door shall be opened unto you. You know God will hear your prayer. And Job, you know why the wicked prosper. It says that right in Psalm 77. The psalmist had the same question as you. He said, they've got more than heart could wish and their eyes bulge out with fatness. And he said, it was painful for me to understand until I went in the house of my God and I understood their end. Because they're on a slippery path to destruction. Did you know that if you have Jesus as your Savior, if your sins are forgiven, it doesn't matter how many burdens you bear and how many trials you face and how many heartaches you deal with and how much pain and agony you endure, you're going to spend forever in heaven and you're better off than the richest person in the world. Hey, you know why the wicked prosper. They're gonna, they're, they're, their money doesn't mount to anything in eternity. Uh, why the Bible says, what shall the profit of man be? shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. And Job, you know you can be pardoned. For the Bible says that Christ died for our sin. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Job, you want a daysman? You want somebody who can hold you with one hand and God with the other and explain you to God and God to you? Why don't you know the Bible says there is one. His name is Jesus. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And in the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son, who had always been God from eternity past to eternity, future. God became man in Bethlehem's manger so that we would know that he understands us. And we have not an high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities that was in all points tempted like as we are and yet without sin. And Jesus Christ put one hand on a holy God and one hand on a sinful man and he bridged the chasm between them by shedding his own blood on the cross and paying for the sins of mankind and anybody who trusts Jesus can have everlasting life. Job, you know you can be pardoned. There's the way to heaven. His name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. Wait a minute. Job didn't have a Bible. Job's the oldest book in the Bible. It records the life of a man who lived roughly the same time as Abraham. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, the second to the youngest of them. Joseph was sold into bondage in Egypt, and the people were there for 400 years, and God sent Moses to deliver them. And to Moses he gave Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Job 
five or six hundred years before the Bible, Job lived. Job didn't have a Bible. There are 1.8 billion Muslims in the world. They believe their God doesn't care about sin. They believe their God has no son. And they believe unless in some act of, uh, of what they would call martyrdom, we would call terrorism, they give their life. They can't even be sure whether or not they're going to go to their paradise. Uh, uh, J.D. Greer is the current president of the Southern Baptist Convention. In 2013, he said, Muslims and Christians worship the same God. That's an insult to both faiths. No, no, the God of the Muslims asked his followers to surrender and sacrifice their sons for him. And our God sacrificed his son for us. But the difference between them and you is they don't have a book and we have a book. Amen. There are 1.2 billion Catholics in the world. Well, they believe Mary is a co-redemptress along with Jesus. They believe you can pray to Mary to get to Jesus. I've called several Catholic priests and said, can uh, you tell me from the Bible how to know for sure I'm on my way to heaven? And they all said, no, nobody can be sure of that. They discourage their people from reading the Bible. You might misunderstand that. And these be interpreted by the experts in the church. They believe that when they die, they may have to burn off their sins for a hundred years or more in a place called purgatory. And the difference between them and you is they don't have a book and you've got a book. There are 1 billion, 100 million Hindus in the world. They have millions of gods. No Hindu could tell you the names of all of their gods. They believe in reincarnation, that how you live in one life form determines what life form you'll come back as the next time. I went to India in the mid to late 1980s. There were 750 million people in India then. There are over a billion now. And there were more rats than people. And the rats ate over half of the harvest, but they wouldn't kill the rats because it might be grandma. And if you do well in one life level and another and another and another, you'll finally get to the place that is the most exalted state in the Hindu faith. It's called nirvana. Nirvana is a state where you don't know anything, you don't see anything, you don't hear anything, you don't feel anything. It is absolute emptiness because in their faith, the best life imagined would be the one where you don't feel or know or hear or understand anything. And the difference between them and us is they don't have a book. And ladies and gentlemen, praise God, we have a book. Job said, man, if I had a book, what would you do with it, Job? Well, I believe this is implicit in our text. He said, it'd be my authority. I'd know what God said. Did you know that our authority is not the church constitution? Our authority is not some ancient confession of faith. Our authority does not reside in a man. Our authority is in the word of God. You know, when your pastor encouraged you to come back tonight and Tuesday night and Monday night, he's doing what the Bible says because the Bible says not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the matter of some is. You know, the reason you follow the pastor, he's a great man. He's a wise man. Uh, the other day, I don't know if he called you or not, a preacher called me. They, they'd been given a large bequest and uh, and he said, I don't know what I should do with it. I said, call Alan Fong. 
Dr. Fogg will know more what to do with that money and how to use it more wisely than any preacher that I know anything about understand the church and understand business. He's a, he's a good man. He's got wonderful children. But you don't follow him because he's a good man or because he's a wise man or because he's experienced. You follow him because the Bible says obey them that have the rule over you and watch for your souls. Submit yourselves. They watch your souls and must give an account that they may do it joy not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church because the Bible says so wives are to submit to their husbands because the Bible tells us that children are to obey their parents because it says so in the word of God and parents are to raise their children in the nursery and admonition of the Lord because we're told so in the Bible and soul winning is not just some church method or church growth idea. It is a command from God to preach the gospel to every creature and we do it because it tells us in the Bible we have an authority. It's the word of God. But Job said, if I had a Bible, it would not only be my authority, it would be my answer. Oh, he said, I wish somebody would answer me. Do you know the Bible is not only the source of all of our doctrine, it tells us everything we need to know about life. Did you know the Bible tells you what to do when you're happy? It tells you what to do when you're sad. It tells you what to do when you're sick. It tells you how to manage your money. It tells you how to treat your friends. It tells you how to deal with your enemies. It tells you uh, how to conduct your business. It tells you how to order your life. I'm here to tell you every answer you need for life is in the word of God. But Job said, if I had a book, it wouldn't only be my authority and my answer. It'd be my adoration. <laughs> Boy, he said, if I had a book, I'd bear it on my shoulder. I'd wear it as a crown to me. Job wouldn't take his Bible home and throw it on the coffee table and leave it there till the next church service. Job wouldn't treat the word of God casually. Job said, oh, I would love the Bible. I hope you love the word of God. You know, a lot of times we encourage people to read through the Bible every year. I think that's good. An eighth grader reads at about 250 words a minute. If you read 250 words a minute, or 107, or uh, I, I forget the, either, I think 873 or 173,000 words in the Bible, I figured it out. Uh, it'll take you about eight and a half minutes a day to read the Bible through in a year. I read the other day, but the phone, the average person watches television six hours a day and is on their phone or smart device 5.9 hours a day. I don't even know how that works unless they're on their phone while they're watching TV. <laughs> they probably are. Now, can I suggest that if you spend six hours a day being influenced by the world and eight and a half minutes a day being influenced by the word, it stands to reason you're going to be more worldly than wordy. Oh, he said, I'd adore the Bible. Sometimes we read the Bible, it's like our, our chore. We got to check it off our list. It's kind of like eating cornflakes with no milk or sugar. It's good for you, but it's not much fun. But Job said, no, no, I wouldn't treat the Bible like that. I'd bear it on my shoulder. I'd wear it as a crown unto me. I used to read the Bible through every year, and then I got convicted I should read it more, so I started reading it through every two times every year. I got myself in trouble. I was trying to preach on that one time, and I was trying to tell people I read the Bible through twice a year. I said, I read the Bible twice a year. One day in January and one in July, whether I need it or not. 
And then I'd read the Old Testament through every three months and the New Testament through every six months. And 2017, about in the springtime, I got was preaching in Arizona. I was sick. So I'd preach and go home to bed in the motel room. Didn't sleep the whole time, so I'd read. I got reading the Bible more and more. I thought, you know, I bet you I could read the Bible through in a month. In July of 2017, I read the Bible through in a month. Every month from then till now, I've read through the Bible. Except in 2019, I read the Bible 12 times by the end of November, and then I spent December refreshing my memorization of the book of Second Timothy and of Philippians. I'm not bragging. You know what it takes me to read the Bible through in a, uh, a month? The Bible I have on that pulpit is 888 pages, so less than 30 pages a day. You ever read 30 pages in a novel in a day? You ever read 30 pages in a hunting or fishing magazine or a business magazine or a homemaking magazine in a day? It's really not that big of a deal, but here's what's interesting. I read the Bible through every month. I got reading a lot yesterday because I was in airplanes a lot, so I started with the book of Daniel and I finished yesterday reading the, to the end of the book of Matthew. So I remarked this morning. And you know, I, I laugh. <laughs> I, I praise God. I was standing out waiting for the preacher to pick me up, reading the Bible on my phone. And, and uh, I read something about Jesus. And I said, yes, he is. And the lady walked by and looked at me. <laughs> and then she said, you look nice. She figured this crazy person needed some encouragement. <laughs> I've read every book Louis L'Amour wrote. He's a Western writer and a good, good storyteller, but I don't know any books by Louis L'Amour I want to read twice, let alone once a month. <laughs> oh, man, if I had a book. If I had a book, I'd bear it on my shoulder. I'd, buy, I'd wear it as a crown unto me. What do you do with God's book? Suppose I'd take his microphone around and say, uh, tell me how many days of the last seven you spent some time reading the Word of God. Well, I'm just too busy. No, you're not. Hardly anybody ever gets too busy that they don't eat at all for three or four days. Hardly anybody gets so busy they don't sleep at all for three or four days. But you can go three or four days without reading the Bible. Don't think anything about it. But the Bible says, I've esteemed the words of thy mouth more than my necessary food. Did you know the divorce rate is about one in two in the United States of America, about 50%. But did you know in families that have daily Bible reading, it's one in 500? I read about a warden had death row in his prison, and he said in all the years that he'd been a, a uh, warden there, he hadn't known one person sentenced to death that had come from a Bible reading family. Those who have family devotions greatly reduce the rate of all kinds of problems because the word of God changes us. Job said, man, I'd love it. I'd learn from it. I'd live it. I'd really let the Bible guide my life. Are you governed by the Bible? You read it every day? From the Bible, I know that I have eternal life in heaven by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. From the Bible, I know that God loves me and will never leave me or forsake me. It's from the Bible, I know that it supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. It's from the Bible that I know all of the goodness and the grace of God and all about how to live. Oh, Job said, if I only had a book, 
I've been in the Philippines where a container of used Bibles was unloaded and Bible college students stood with their arms outreached to grasp a tattered and worn portion of the Bible because though they were saved and they were studying to be preachers themselves, they didn't even have their own copy of the Word of God and so eager were they to get God's book for themselves. Though the cover is worn and pages are torn and places bear traces of tears, Yet more precious than gold is this book that I hold that can scatter and shatter my fears. This old book is my guide. It's my friend by my side. It'll lighten and brighten my way. And each promise I find soothes and gladdens my mind as I read it and heed it each day. To this book will I cling of its worth, will I sing, though great losses and crosses be mine. For I cannot despair, though surrounded by care, when possessing this blessing divine, if only God had written a book, you've got one in your hand, you've got it on your phone, you've got it on your iPad. But I wonder what we do with the book we have. 